0: Uh, interesting passage. Uh, I, I really am trying to get through the Gospel of Mark uh, fairly quickly, not because I want to get through it quickly, but because I want you to kind of get the flow. But when we come to a passage like this, which I was going to attach to another passage, and I get, this really, we kind of read this passage over and over and over again. We go, oh, that's that's cute, and we move on. Uh, and there's a lot of stuff here that is really, uh, I think, meat for us to, to chew on that a, a lot of times we don't. We don't see or we don't um, kind of view it uh, with our lives in in light of what Jesus is doing here, what his disciples are doing. So we're going to talk about that. But before we do, as always, let's go to the Lord. Uh, We're asking him to bless our time. Father, we are here because you're here in power. Uh, Father, we're all coming to this building with uh, different things on our mind, different experiences from the week, different uh, places where our hearts are at, where our attitudes are at, God. There there are many needs that we have. There are many concerns that we have for for ourselves and and for others. But yet, God, you call us to gather, to to worship you, to realign our lives in light of who you are and what you do. And as we go through this passage today, God, we, we pray that as well that you would realign our lives, help us to refocus upon things that you deem our priority, you deem our important, and God, we pray you'd give us the power and the courage to, to walk with your spirit, to change the things we need to change to, to uh, in other people's lives, to encourage them when we see the blessings that you give to them, when you see, we see the gifts that, that you, uh, the way you move through people. So, Father, open our eyes to these things. May we worship you with our attentiveness today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me just uh, start by uh, saying something, and you respond. All right, Jesus loves the little children. All, all right, children right, we oh, most of us know that song, right? We all know that song. We kind of runs in our heads, and it's true. Jesus loves the little children of the world. The problem is many people don't share that love for children in our world. We, in our culture, I think we, um, that's kind of a shocking statement that people don't love little children. And it's because in America, we live in a microcosm of our own communities, our own little families, where we love our children, and we see the community kind of loving our children, but very rarely do our eyes go beyond our, our circle of influence. In Jesus' day children were often viewed as a liability until they could contribute to society. Uh, When Jesus was walking around on earth, children weren't seen as important. They were actually a liability. You had to feed them. You had to provide for them, which means you might not be able to provide for the rest of your family. So they were a liability until they got old enough to actually help provide for the family's needs rather than drain off the family, was the perception And some people today uh, in our world treat children in the same way. Children are more of a commodity to be used and abused to their own needs. Throughout history, the value of children has been pretty much ignored by every single culture. Uh, We have in the Bible examples of that, uh, kind of the, the, the extremes where Herod kills babies to try to get a hold of this infant Jesus as well, or the child Jesus. Uh, We have that mirroring what Pharaoh did in the Old Testament, killing the children of Israel to try to get rid of these children who would grow up to be a problem for him. It, It just wasn't a good world for children in the ancient world. In Rome, in Jesus' time, pretty much every Roman home had a trash pile outside of it. And if you walked by Roman homes in that day, in that trash pile, what you might find along with trash and refuge and, and uh, stuff that would go in the toilet today would be a small child every now and then, because a Roman family would throw unwanted children on these trash heaps outside their home. And sometimes people would walk by, and if you wanted a child, you would pick up this child and bring it home with you. And usually those, childs, those children that were picked up from the trash heaps were used to be prostitutes, And gladiators and slaves. And that was common practice in the Roman Empire, especially for female children. And we look at we we go, that is horrendous. Don't we all go? How can you just put your child out in a trash pile and not care for anymore? And we rail against the Romans, but it's not much safer for children in the world today. If you don't even include abortion. In the the statistics here, 14 million children die each year before the age of five from malnutrition, abuse, uh, a myriad of reasons. The slave trade around the world among children is growing exponentially. Statistically, once a month, sometimes more than that, once a month a new slave trade ring is uh, either busted up or arrested on our southern border. Once a month, a new slave, this is among children. And I mean, I can go on and on and on and on about the state of children in our world today. It's not what we see in our little American microcosm. It is a horrible place for children today. And Jesus comes in this passage in a world kind of like ours, maybe worse than ours, We're not going to put like a a number on it, but Jesus comes and he does something unique. He comes, and number one, he says children have intrinsic value, not just potential value that one day they'll add to society, but as a little small child, they have intrinsic value. They are valuable beings. They are human beings created in the image of God, just like adults are. Verse 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. So the text says that that, that people were bringing children to Jesus. They probably means mom and dad, maybe extended family, maybe friends, but people are bringing children to Jesus. Because they want Jesus to bless the children. They want to see what Jesus would say about children. And so these people, they they wanted Jesus to meet them. They wanted these little ones to meet Jesus and be blessed by him. They want to know, what does God think about these children? And in contrast, the disciples, they thought it was a a waste of time. And they rebuked those parents, those friends, those family. And so, as Jesus' political handle, that's what the disciples are acting like. We don't want to mar your name, Jesus, because you, you got to have this. If people get the wrong idea, if you're going across culture here, people aren't going to like you. But people, did, but Jesus didn't care about people liking him. Jesus cared about truth. And so, they sought to restrict the access of those who would, we like to say, is love children to Jesus. They wanted. Jesus to get to know these children. They wanted Jesus to have impact in their kids' lives. And their attitude, the disciples' attitude and action simply replay this exclusism and this elitism we saw way back in chapter 9 with the, um, the children coming to Jesus there and the, uh, the demoniac and how the disciples treated that person. So the question is simple, and I'll get right to the point. Are you like those who want to love children to Jesus, Or are you like the disciples who have no time for babysitting? Where is your heart when it comes to children? And no, your children don't count. That's easy. Where does your heart lie, children outside of your family? Let me just kind of give you um, an indication here. Uh, Just ask some questions. Will, Will you work in the nursery? Or have you done your time? Will you work with preschoolers, with teens? Will you coach children in sports in your town? Will you tutor someone who needs it? Probably every adult here has a little bit more knowledge than the average elementary school kid. Maybe not. Have you ever seen that? That's how you're smarter than a fifth grader? Scares me. But anyway, but can you tutor without any strings attached? Just free. You know how much tutoring costs today? What's the average tutor make? You have a guess? $35 an hour is a little low today. It's upwards of $50 now, right? If you're a kid, maybe $35. If you're an adult tutor, $50 an hour, right? That's, that's a, quite a good sum for a people who have multiple kids or tutoring two or three, three. Imagine what the ministry could be if you tutored a child for nothing because we, we serve people. What, what will you do in a larger sense about um, the tide of abortions and, and the, the plight of unwed mothers, who oftentimes uh, feel very alone. We, we rail about keeping your child, but we don't help them once they choose to do the right thing. What about sex trafficking? What, do, what are you gonna do about that? What about child poverty? W- where's your heart? What are you gonna do about that? The problems are endless. Don't get me wrong, you can't fix everything. I can't fix everything. But you can do something. You can do one thing. It's clear that Jesus saw children had great, great value. Will you love children to Jesus? Will you take some part of your life and serve little ones? In your outlines, if you choose a little space where you can write down, here's some options I can explore. Just... As God speaks to you, write down those things. What can you do? I know many of us might have the compassion or world vision child. That's a great thing. Do that. You know, you send off $40 or $50, whatever, in the month now to support a child. That's great. Keep doing that. Get more if you can. But that's really a hands-off thing, right? I can send my money, and somebody else loves the little children. That's good. We need to support that. But what are you? Jesus was indignant because his disciples didn't. Jesus was doing the right thing, and the disciples were trying to stop him from doing the right thing. What will you do? You see, when Jesus saw the disciples fussing over the people bringing the children to Jesus, the scripture says that he really flipped out. It's the only time in the scripture where it says Jesus was indignant. He was really upset. His righteous anger was aroused, and he publicly rebuked his own disciples because they weren't doing the work of the kingdom of God. James Edwards, a theologian, says this. The object of a person's indignation reveals a great deal about the person. Jesus' displeasure here reveals his compassion and defense of the helpless, vulnerable, and powerless. When you read the only place in Scripture where Jesus was indignant... And it has to do with how people value children. It's time for our ears to open. Jesus is affirming that children are worth his time. If they're worth his time, they should be worth our time as well. There's no way you can reconcile, that's good for Jesus, but not for me. You, you, can't, you can't reconcile that. I do that a lot. Oh I make it cute. Well, Jesus is God. He has all the time in the world. He, has, he can extend himself, up, yes, but he's also human. Jesus could not extend his human capabilities any further than we can extend. Jesus could only have so many close friends. Jesus could only have so many people he knew well, right? <clears throat> so he had limitations as well in his, in his human uh, form. And so we can't make the excuse, oh well, it's Jesus, so he can do it. We, no. He is an example for us, and He actually expected his disciples to do exactly what he was doing. So we spend time with children. Why? Well, I think it's because what Jesus wants us to do ultimately is this best thing. And the best thing we can do for children around us, whether in our families, our church, our society in general, is to model for them a Christ-filled life. The reason why we want to hang out with children and love them and spend time with them is because we want to model that living for Jesus is the natural it's the normal thing. It's, it's not the weird thing. Loving each other and taking care of each other and, and, and taking care of people who are vulnerable in our society uh, for the sake of Christ is the normal thing to do. It's what human beings were designed to do. Our world says that we're strange. We're not strange. I've said this before. We're normal. We're normal. They're strange. Following God is supposed to be normal. Committing our lives to Jesus fully is supposed to be normal supposed to be natural, but it's not because human heart is in rebellion. and so because Jesus says that children have intrinsic value, it also means that we can learn a lot from children, and Jesus uh, wants us to look at children in a way um, where through the eyes of a child, we can see what is really important to God. Um, most of us decide what's really important by either our, our family upbringing, the, 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 the culture we learn from our family, or we learn from the culture of, our, of the, the country we live in, the place we live in. But Jesus takes this situation and he turns it around to give a universal teaching about what is really important to God. And so Jesus goes on to tell us that children really reveal the nature of God's kingdom. If you want to know what God's kingdom is like, how to enter God's kingdom, the way you do it is by looking at how children relate to people in general. Verse 15. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. There's something about a child that is essential for the entrance into God's kingdom. And and a couple things. It's not their innocence. Children are not innocent. They're little sinners, just like we're big sinners, right? They are little sinners, right? If you're not a parent, um, well, you know, because you were a kid once. You knew, right? So um, it's not their purity, they They're sweet and um and they're nice and they're cuddly, but they have the DNA of Adam just like we do, and their little cuddliness can turn suddenly it's It's like the gremlins movie right <laughs> right It's like they're cute and cuddly, and in the gremlins you don't you, you feed them after midnight they turn to these evil things, but with a little child you don't. You don't know what, you just something you do, and you don't know where it is, and they suddenly like and their teeth come out, and they, right? So it's not innocence, it's not purity, because it, they're not innocent. They're not pure. They're sinners. But still, for some reason, Jesus says, children are a better example how to enter the kingdom better than as adults are the example. Uh, Warren Worsby says this, we tell children to behave like adults, but Jesus tells adults to model themselves after children. I think I love that because that's what Jesus is saying. He says, we like to get how we're supposed to be from other from our peers, right? How to be a good adult. I'll watch that person, I'll watch my coworker, I'll watch, you know, people in school. And Jesus says, no, if you your peer group, who you should model yourself after is not people like you, but like a little child. Like a little child. So what is Jesus talking about when he says that you have to become like a little child? How do you become like a little child? I think there are at least three things, maybe more. The first thing is this: we must become helpless. We must re- I probably "become" is the wrong word. We must um, realize we're helpless. Let me put it that way. So in this passage, Jesus are led. It says they are led to Jesus with the help of others. They don't just wander off to Jesus. They don't seek Jesus on their own. They're being led to Jesus. These children are helpless, and their lives are in the hands of another, in the hands of adults. And and even at a tender age, um, if you notice, children are filled with hope. They're filled with expectation. They're helpless but yet they're expecting help. They're expecting goodness to come from people. Uh, They don't know all that they need, right? But they do expect help from people that they deem can help them. And so uh, when they ask for things, if you notice, they're they're hopeful that they'll receive it. So my, my grandson, if he comes to me and he says, open, right, what does he want? I don't think, oh, gee, what is he trying to say spiritually here? No, he just wants that thing opened. It's usually some sort of jar with food in it. So, open. And he holds it up because he expects me to respond. Open. If he goes and he goes, dance, what he wants me to do is go into the living room and turn on the record player so he can dance, right? If he says cracker, he expects to get a cracker, right? So, He knows he's helpless. He can't open the jar. He can't dance without the music. He can't eat the cracker unless I give it to him. He comes helpless. He doesn't realize he's helpless, but he is. And he comes expecting someone to meet that need in his life. We arrive on earth small and helpless and powerless. We can't do anything on our own. Children come into the world with no clout, no standing, no capital. They're totally at the hands of, of somebody else. Children bring nothing to the table but empty hands. And that's appropriate because only empty hands can be filled. Mm-hmm. Think about it. Um, sometimes I think when we think about how we come to God, it's like we're this little child in the little what tub they put you in, what are those things called, a little bassinet in the hospital, a little seat, bassinet, they put you in the bassinet, and I think we as human beings, like we sit in the bassinet, we're going, I know I'm helpless, but I'm going to crawl out of here, and I'm going to start that car, I'm going to drive and get myself a burger, right? Babies don't think like that, right? They just They're helpless. We think we can do it. We're babies, we're helpless, but we think we can do it on our own. And God is saying, no, you can't. This is the point. Unless you realize that Jesus is the only one who can help us with our sin problem and understand that we are powerless to do anything about the problem on our own, we will not see the kingdom of God. The first step to salvation is to realize that we are helpless. We are powerless. And Jesus says you can't receive the kingdom of God unless you realize you can't get it on your own. You can't make it on your own. You're helpless. You're powerless. Disciples didn't get it. They thought they had the power. They thought they were special. They're constantly arguing about where their power, where their status was. And Jesus is trying to teach them power comes from helplessness. Salvation comes from realizing who we really are and our need for Christ. So we come helpless. We also must come trusting and dependent upon Jesus as well. Notice in that passage that the kingdom of God is received, not earned. Um, I tell the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child. So Jesus right off the bat says that the kingdom of God is received, not earned. It's received like a little child or it's not received at all. Children have this display of trust and absolute dependence on one another, and children point the way to the entrance of God's kingdom. Think about a child, they're totally trusting. This is why children get taken advantage of, right? They trust people they shouldn't trust, right? But they don't know any better because they, they come helpless, they come expecting, they come hopeful, and they, they, they don't get it many times. Have you ever noticed that children have the capacity to enjoy a lot of things, but understand very little? Have you noticed that? You you can give them something; they don't understand it, but they can they enjoy it. They just live life; they don't have to figure everything out. Adults, we go. I got to figure this thing out. Should I, is this dangerous? We we don't know. We just we have to figure everything out because children live by faith and dependence. Children go, I'm just going to trust in this thing. I don't need to understand it. I don't need to figure it all out. I'm just going to enjoy the goodness this thing or this person brings into my life. Children ultimately trust another person to survive. And when we come to Jesus, we are trusting him for survival, for eternity. And Jesus says, if you come trusting anybody or dependent on yourself for salvation, you will not see the kingdom of God. You have to trust. Be totally dependent. You can't understand everything. You just have to trust Jesus. Thirdly, we must come seeking real love and blessing. So Jesus is in this place, and the children are coming, and he picks them up. This is totally uh, unheard of in that culture. You don't pick up children unless you're the mom or the dad. Like Dave says, children might come to you, and this is kind of similar. Asian cultures are very similar. You, come, you put your hands on them, and you bless them from afar, but you don't want necessarily to be tainted by children. I don't, I don't know if that's the case in India, but in, in the ancient world it was. But you don't pick them up. You don't bring them to yourself. By picking up a child, you're welcoming them hospi- in hospitality into your family. Jesus is picking the children up and saying, you, you're mine. You're mine and that is unheard of. He is tender and affectionate to people, to children who bring nothing to him. He's going to get nothing from them, but he lays his hands on them. He picks them up and blesses them. These kids and these families knew exactly where the real source of love was. What Jesus is doing here is giving a, a traditional Hebrew blessing. There are, uh, several components to a Hebrew blessing. The first thing was a meaningful touch. You, you lay hands on a person. We don't get that today. Um, what that really is about, when you lay a hand on a person, you're becoming one with them. But also, again, in the ancient world, people were filthy, right? and you're looking beyond their filth when you touch them to who they really are. That's what the touch is, okay? Today, we shower every day. We're all spiffy. Back in the day, you, that wasn't the case. People didn't shower and bathe every day. That wasn't the way it was. People were filthy. Touch you saying, I, I'm ignoring your messiness, and I'm, I'm going to the, to the real you. Um, so he, he, he um, a meaningful touch, a spoken word. You'd give a blessing. You find this in Genesis when... Um, You find a blessing on the children of Israel. Each son of Israel gets a blessing, some good, some bad blessings and curses. Um, So he spoke a word of blessing over them, attach high value to them. By picking them up, he's saying that they have intrinsic value. He would probably give them a word of prophecy about their future, that you'll be a great this or great that. Maybe even if they were going to follow him, uh, a picture of their future ministry. And then with the Hebrew blessing, it was also an act of commitment that the person who gave the blessing would actively try to make that blessing come to pass. So if I would bless a child, I would put my hand on them. I would say a, a word about them. I would, I would, I would bring them into my, my fold, my, my, uh, my family even. I would... Uh, tell them what I saw in them, and and, and for the future, they have great integrity, and, and I see, like, for me, leadership in their lives, whatever it might be. And then I would do everything I can to make that come to pass. I would invest my life in them. And Jesus fulfilled all those components. He picked them up and he held them. He spoke a word of blessing over them. He attached high value by indicating to his disciples that they had intrinsic worth, not just potential worth. He might have spoken prophetic words. It's not really indicated there in the the, um, scripture, but probably if he followed the pattern. Um, And then he made an active commitment to see the blessing that he gave fulfilled. When? The love shown at Calvary and the cross pretty much says it all. That's when Jesus fulfilled all the blessings he gave to everyone. That if we believed, if we followed, if we sought his love and blessing, it would be guaranteed because the cross guarantees it. So what do we say in application real quick? Jesus valued children in a society that valued other things more than children. Jesus, what he did here was turned it around. In a society that didn't value children, Jesus declared that they were examples for us to follow. So think about what he's doing. The culture is saying children are worthless, and Jesus is saying, no, they're so filled with value that if you watch them, you'll get to heaven. The exact opposite. And the disciples are probably standing there with their mouths open because they're people of their culture. In a society that didn't value children, Jesus said, they're the way. Watch them. Jesus was right. Human society is wrong. All the time. Jesus is always right, and human society is always wrong when it comes in opposition to Jesus. So here's a a question we need to ask ourselves over and over, not only in this situation, but in any situation. Do you value what God values? Do you value what God values? Do you value humility, for example? When our culture says the humble are weak and need to be stepped upon, you just go and do whatever you can to to get up the the corporate ladder, or whatever ladder you're climbing. Do you value that? Are are Jesus' priorities your priorities, or do you have other priorities? When, When it comes to children, what are you doing to invest And what Jesus says is a great priority. Do you value what God values? There's a basic principle here. Uh, I value what Phil values. And that is a human value. And it's wrong. And I need to reprioritize myself probably on a weekly basis because I let false priorities, false values get into my life and pretty soon they become part of my life, and I don't even know how they got there, because I've just, I've left the, I didn't open the door all the way, right? None of us go, oh, welcome in, world. Come and change my Christian. We don't do that, but we leave cracks. I'll just a little compromise here, a little shift there, and as the cracks, things kind of bleed in, and pretty soon your room is filled with false values, and Jesus wants us constantly to reevaluate our lives in the light of what he values. The second Point of application is this. Be willing to learn from unexpected places. Who would have thunk that you can learn about the kingdom of God from little children that can't even wipe their noses? You can learn one of the most important things. Actually, I should say the most important thing that we're called to learn in life about the kingdom of God from children. Unexpected. Um, I think a lot of times we think we can only learn from expected places. You go, if you wanna learn a career, right, or your future, where do you go? You go to college or you go to a trade school, right? You, you go to a professional school. The most valuable lessons in my life didn't come from my years of study. And if you don't know, I have a doctorate. So years of study, most valuable lessons in my life did not come from my years of study. It came from my dad right, who I thought was an idiot when I was a ch- ch- teenager, right? We all think our parents are like, they just don't understand, right? But the most valuable lessons in my life came from my father. I also learned a lot of, of lessons from negative, my friends who did stupid things, dumber things than I did, right, and I thought, oh that's stupid, I won't do that, right? But I was expecting to learn, but in hindsight, I, I've picked up things. If we focus on the unexpected areas of learning, we will learn a whole lot more about deeper things of life than just the surface stuff. Because frankly, what you do with your life for however long you live is really surface stuff, right? It's just, it's, right, we talk about, Ryan and I, we talk about this all the time, right? There is, there is your avocation, your vocation, right? Your avocation is what you do to make money. That doesn't really count. Your vocation is what you're called to do as Christ, for Christ. My avocation, vocation, vocation, kind of a little bit congruent, but really not, right? Um, But most of us, what you make your money in to live isn't your calling. No one's called to be a fireman or a police officer or whatever you do. That's just your job. If you did something else, you'd be okay, too. God wouldn't say bad person, right? But if you don't carry out your vocation to proclaim the kingdom of God, there's a problem there. And so we learn more about our real calling, the deeper things of life from unexpected places rather than the places that society tells us that we should learn from. I'm not saying don't go to trade school, don't go to college. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying don't put all the weight in it. Like, don't put everything in that basket. That's not where it belongs. Because that's human values and not God values. Be willing to learn from unexpected places. How do you know the unexpected? You don't. Right? It really takes a, a kind of self evaluation to go, oh, there's an example I should learn from. It's, a, it's, a, it's kind of in a hindsight sort of thing. Three, it, it, and this is a simple, you, you've heard this before, hopefully, all of you. Take Jesus' advice. So, Jesus' advice through children, what he's trying to say to us through this illustration of children are these things stop relying on your own works, realize you are helpless. You're not going to get there on your own. You're not not going to be perfect on your own, but you need to be if you want to see the kingdom of God. So don't rely on what you do. Realize you are helpless. You need Jesus. Trust and depend on Jesus' work on the cross. That's where your full dependence is. I am saved not because I'm a good Christian. I'm saved because Jesus is a good and great God who died for me and for you. Right, So we trust and depend on his work on the cross. Expect God to act on your faith and receive his love and blessing. And with that, you get the fullness of the kingdom of God. So expect God to act, and then you have to receive his love and be- blessing. You don't just get it. You have to take it. You have to ask for it, and God freely gives his love and blessing upon us. And what we get is, is this thing called the kingdom of God, which Jesus, from this point on, begins to reveal more and more and more. Because the kingdom of God is not just about believing in Jesus and going to heaven. It's about having this abundant life today that impacts our culture and our time with one of the most amazing things uh, that a human being can experience, and that's the person and power of Christ in their lives. So let's pray and ask God's blessing once again.